Thanks for tuning in to the Fertility Health Podcast, hosted by renowned fertility specialist Mark Trollis, MD. Each episode features first-hand advice and potential treatment news, tips, and strategies listeners can use on their fertility journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Trollis. Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Trollis, and I'd like to talk with you all today about something that that we probably don't stress enough uh, as as physicians as reproductive specialists but also probably in the in the literature uh, reading uh, articles online and blogs and and all different sources of fertility and it has to do with the environment you know patients a- always ask me what else can i do to optimize my fertility and traditionally we talk about well we need uh, ovulation, we need to make sure your, your fallopian tubes are open, and we need to, need to make sure there's adequate amounts of sperm. But we are learning more and more today about things in the environment that are, if lack of a better term, toxic to your ability to conceive. And so I thought about what we can do and who we could bring on, and we have an expert in that area. And her name is Dr. Laura Shaheen. She is the director of the recurrent pregnancy program at recurrent pregnancy loss program at Pacific Northwest Fertility over there in Seattle, and she's clinical faculty at the University of Washington in Seattle. And she's completed her residency in OB/GYN at the University of California in San Francisco, and fellowship in reproductive endocrinology at Stanford University. Sounds like somebody really likes California, or at least the West Coast. So she is dedicated to educating and advocating for increased awareness of the impact on environmental toxins on health through an active social media presence, teaching, clinical research, and authors multiple blogs and books, including Not Broken, an approachable guide to miscarriage and recurrent pregnancy loss. And with that, Dr. Sheehan, welcome to the Fertility Health Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Charles. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, and I'm thankful that you are here. And uh, I, I really want to share with the audience how we met. It, it was through social media. Uh, I, have fo- I have followed uh, and stalked uh, Dr. Sheehan for a while because she is such a, an inspiring poster that uh, I am uh, so jealous about how she's able to engage so many people with with very very powerful posts, and so uh, she is she is a, a mentor of mine on social media, and I just brought her on actually for selfish reasons to learn more from me on how she does what she does, but uh, no, but not not selfishly. It's really for all of you out there to listen. So, Dr. Sheehan, uh, I, I know your your expertise is obviously in recurrent pregnancy loss, but but speak to us uh, a little bit about what what we're not getting, what patients are not realizing is out there in the environment that we just take for granted, and it's really impairing fertility. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for those wonderful comments. Um, I love following you on social media as well, so the feelings are mutual. Um, I learned a lot in researching uh, my books on miscarriage. Um, I too was trying to help my patients answer the questions 
what can I do to decrease my risk of miscarriage, increase my chances of conceiving? And in the research, I kept finding lots and lots of information about environmental toxins and their impact on our reproductive health. Okay, excellent. So would you say in general that these toxins are more toward miscarrying or they're really making it difficult for people to conceive or both? It's both. It is both. Um, these environmental toxins are impacting egg quality. They're impacting sperm quality. They're impacting success rate with IVF and fertility treatments. And they're impacting risk of miscarriage. It's across the board. It's quite overwhelming. Yeah. So the most common one that comes to mind with me is, is tobacco, is cigarette smoking. Uh, and now even with vaping, there's, there's uh, studies in mice to show that it impairs fertility as well. So, so bring us up to date on, on probably the most ubiquitous uh, prevalent uh, toxin that, that we know as reproductive specialists that really hurt chances for men and women for fertility. Yeah, I think of um, when I'm trying to organize my thoughts around it, and especially talking to patients, um, I talk to people about how we are already counseling on certain endocrine disruptors or environmental toxins. These are chemicals that we're putting into our body that are impacting the way our hormones function and the way our genetics are being read. And we're familiar with tobacco and the uh, harms of cigarette smoking and now the harms of vaping are really coming to the forefront. Um, we're also aware of high levels of alcohol being associated with miscarriage and fetal alcohol syndrome. And there are studies showing um, regular alcohol heavy use can decrease chances of success with fertility treatment and um, increase time it takes to conceive. So that's a comfortable place to be. Um, that's something we're familiar with and that's something that we can control our exposure to. But there are other toxins that we might not be very aware of, things like BPA and phthalates and things that are in plastics and common household materials. Yeah, so let, let's get into that a little bit longer. Uh, but, I, you know, the thing about alcohol is, is somewhat confusing to me. So we know that once a woman's pregnant, any alcohol, there's no level of alcohol that is considered safe to prevent, unfortunately, the complications of fetal alcohol syndrome and mental retardation. And I remember go, coming across a New England Journal of Medicine article that any alcohol use could impair fertility as well, which, you know, what I tell my patients tongue-in-cheek is that that's, I can't tell you to completely abstain from alcohol because probably most children were a result of uh, having a little bit of alcohol at least uh, to, to conceive. So what are you counseling patients on, particularly women, because it seems to be less of an effect uh, on men, but what are you counseling your patients on in terms of alcohol uses before pregnancy? Sure. Um, so there is some evidence that regular alcohol use will impact fertility in both men and women. Um, and I do realize it's a huge part of our culture. It's a huge part of celebration, enjoying yourself out at a restaurant. And it's, um, it's a part of, of everyday life. And it's actually um, socially awkward for someone who's regularly drinking wine to be at a party and then all of a sudden, you know, not have something to drink. And that leads to questions and you're already, 
you know, struggling to conceive, it's a lot to kind of walk through. But I do go through the evidence I, and I talk about, let's just keep everything in moderation. Let's not have alcohol every day. Um, let's not, you know, have it, um, you know, all the time. Um, and let's have it in moderation. And another thing I really try to emphasize with people is that the wine industry and the alcohol industry are extremely unregulated. And it may not necessarily be that wine or some alcohol that we're drinking is necessarily bad. It's the toxins, the pesticides, and some of the additives that are put into these alcoholic beverages that might be the true culprit. Interesting. I, 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 I had never thought about it from that perspective, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and so, uh, so what we're saying is that uh, uh, some, some moderation, uh, clearly before pregnancy, is is probably acceptable, but certainly avoiding completely once once pregnancy occurs. I, I wanted to go into more detail about the cigarette smoking because I, un unfortunately, I just don't think it's it's out there enough on the dangers, uh, the harm of cigarette smoking in terms of uh, um, infertility, miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy. So speak to us a little bit more on, on what 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 harm this actually is causing, and also what type of recovery is necessary once cigarette smoking is, uh, has stopped. Sure, that's great. Um, so it's funny, I have been on the West Coast now for over a decade, but I actually grew up in North Carolina, which is pretty close to you in Florida. So I am very familiar with cigarette smoking and tobacco use being a part of someone's everyday life. And the evidence is overwhelming. Um, cigarette smoking and tobacco use de decreases blood supply to the uterus. It decreases um, sperm parameters on semen analysis. It, um, it's associated with a um, earlier menopause and poor egg quality. Um, so you can pick each incident that you want to look at apart, but it's um, absolutely just like we know cigarette smoking impacts lots of other health issues like cardiovascular disease, increased risk of lung cancer. Um, it's absolutely associated with um, infertility and miscarriage. And I think that when we're trying to counsel patients about decreasing exposures to toxins that um, is socially acceptable, you know, like alcohol or cigarettes, people often look at their friends who are smoking, you know, twice as much or drinking twice as much and they're, you know, having multiple children and they sort of, it's frustrating to say, well, look at this other person enjoying their life and why are they not infertile and I am and, you know, why are you taking this um, thing that really gives me pleasure, you know, away from me? And I just have to remind people that every person is different. Everybody's genetics are different and, you know, you can't say that smoking and, and drinking alcohol are safe for you. Um, so just everything in, in moderation. Thanks for tuning in to the Fertility Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Trollis, and I wanted to take a few seconds and share some exciting news with you. My new book, The Fertility Doctor's Guide to Overcoming Infertility, Discovering Your Reproductive Potential and Maximizing Your Odds of Having a Baby, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. It's a long title, but I assure you that's because there is so much great information and insight 
packed within the only general guide to infertility written by a medical doctor who specializes in the subject. That's me. This book has been a labor of love and I can't wait to share it with you all. So give yourself the best possible odds for getting pregnant and having a baby with this concise and encouraging companion available on Amazon for pre-order today. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I, I do, you know, that, that's a credo that I live by about everything in moderation, but I think that uh, we, it, it needs to be revised, of course, for tobacco use, is that it really, unfortunately, if, if, if pregnancy is desired, I, I, I paint a very profound and chilling picture when I talk about cigarette smoke with, with my patients. I say, you know, you really have to think about what you'd rather be holding. And they're either going to be holding a cigarette or a baby. Now, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, and of course, you know, you know the stories, and, and I do as well, and particularly for a patient who's frustrated. You know, firstly, when they're trying to conceive, the whole world looks pregnant. And then when, when they see somebody who is, uh, who is able to uh, be, be uh, able to conceive readily and smokes, that's, that's a very difficult thing for them. But I, even more difficult, at least for me, is people who are smoking pregnant because uh, there are significant risks known uh, to baby with uh, decreasing blood flow to the baby and uh, what's called placental insufficiency and, and, and risks of low birth weight and, and complications even later once the baby's born. So um, I, I've also uh, seen that there's some genetic alterations of the sperm and the egg uh, that are impairing the ability to conceive. So... Tobacco use is, is really not good. We don't know yet enough about vaping, but, but animal studies in mice are showing that it is, is probably just as harmful. Uh, Dr. Sheehan, uh, the uh, issue of stopping smoking, um, are, are you seeing... Now, the guidelines that I have read are about a year after stopping, uh, their fertility should resume. Are, are, are you seeing that, or, do, or can you speak to that much? You know, I am not aware of a lot of long-term studies and quitting smoking and seeing um, resolution of fertility issues, but I think that um, I would just try to encourage people to, to quit as, as soon as, as they can for not only their fertility, but for their overall health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's switch over to something that is uh, it's very troubling to me, uh, and, and that has to do with the what you described at the outset as the endocrine disruptors. These are these are plastics and, and other categories that are so much a part of our lives that it's frightening to know how how damaging they can be. Uh, so, so give us some more information about that, so our listeners could really understand the effects and maybe make some modifications to help them. Sure. Um, the two chemicals that I've researched the most as far as the impact on reproductive health are BPA, which is bisphenol A, and phthalates. So BPA is um, a chemical that was actually synthesized in the late 1800s to be used as an estrogen substitute. It was used as a pharmaceutical chemical to um, help women um, going through estrogen withdrawal. Um, it was even used for some uh, maternal issues like to prevent miscarriage and um, 
early labor um, until it was taken off the shelf and replaced by a chemical that you're going to be very uh, familiar with, Dr. Trellis, which is um, DES. So as a gynecologist, you will know that DES was, um, you know, used as a, you know, a pseudo estrogen and given to women to prevent miscarriage and preterm labor, but it was removed from the market in 1971 because it was associated with um, uh, birth defects, vaginal clear cell carcinoma, and uh, babies that were born from moms that took it in pregnancy. So anybody that's familiar with that is usually pretty shocked when I bring up that uh, BPA was used in a very similar fashion. Um, the chemical industry realized that BPA could be used in a totally different way. It's not used as a pharmaceutical anymore, but it's used um, in plastics and many household products to make the plastics flexible, lighter weight, um, and um, easier to use. It can be found in um, anything from water bottles, a lot of food packaging materials. Um, it's in a lot of medical supplies. It's in a lot of fast food um, wrappers. It's in thermal receipts. So when you take a receipt from somebody from a cash register or um, airplane ticket or something like that, um, the BPA will rub off into your hands. So it is um, in so much of what we are exposed to. Um, Phthalates are a totally different chemical. Um, So let's let's stay with the plastic for a second. Uh, So so it, it's obvious that it doesn't necessarily have to be ingested. I mean, this is topical. This is this is where they can actually get effects from from touching. Is that is that what you've seen? Yeah, you can get it from um, rubbing uh, or holding a thermal receipt. But the highest um, exposure to BPA is usually through um, food. Um, it's you know food that's heated up in plastic containers and the plastic. Um, the BPA that's there in the plastics will leach into the food or into the water, um, and that's how most humans will ingest it. And so humans are touching water bottles, and they're drinking out of water bottles. So it's it's a setup right there for for problems with fertility and, and miscarriage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing, absolutely. Um, you know, who who doesn't have a water bottle when you see them? It's it's just so ubiquitous. It's right there. Okay, so we got we got the issues uh, very very important. So you were just ready to talk about the phthalates. Yeah, phthalates. They're also found in plastics as well. So you're going to get exposed to them in that way as well. But I think about them mostly in um, household products like beauty products, cleaning supplies, um, candles. They um, are often used as a way to stabilize fragrance in materials. So like a fragrant candle, um, they stabilize makeup. So it has like a longer shelf life. Um, It stabilizes the smell that you have in your shampoo or your laundry detergent. Um, And so phthalates as well as BPA are just ubiquitous, you know, throughout Mm -hmm. our, our households and we're exposed to them every day. Right. So what, what is a couple, what is a woman to do? Sure. So the, um, it's overwhelming. I just want to say, like when I started really learning about this and researching it and writing it in my books, I really shut down for a while. Like the evidence is overwhelming. It's mainly in animal models um, because they're honestly just easier to test. 
But um, Europe especially has really paid a lot of attention to these chemicals, has much more regulation than the United States, and they have a lot of human research as well. And so um, the evidence is there, um, but the positive is that the most harm are from um, patients and people that have the highest levels of exposure in their system. And so if you can take active and small measures to decrease your exposure to these chemicals, you are going to drastically improve the levels in your system, and you actually can make small changes that have a huge impact. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, just, just briefly, I hear patients talking about soy products. How, how, how much of an impact, if at all, uh, do you see with, with these over-the-counter products that may contain soy, and should patients be uh, uh, reducing their intake of soy because it's an estrogen-like uh, compound? Um, that's a really complicated um, question because, in general, soy in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, it's the type of soy that people have, and there's even um, some really interesting evidence that people who have high levels of soy in their system have lower levels of BPA. Um, and the way I put that together is is that people who are eating soy are often eating are often eating less meat. And one of the highest ways that we can be exposed to BPA um, is how our meat and dairy is processed because it's just put in through so much plastic containers as it's being processed. Um, as well, yeah. So I don't think in and of itself soy is, is necessarily a bad thing, but you're going to find so many different um, conflicting evidence surrounding that because of where the soy is coming from and which supplement and, you know, there's so many confounders. It's hard to narrow that down. Well, you, you've, you've made a very uh, confusing topic much more clear, Dr. Shaheen. I, I thank you so much. I was looking forward to this, and I, and I hope the readers, uh, 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 or I know that the readers will enjoy this as, as much as I, because th this is just a topic that doesn't get the play, doesn't get the press uh, and notoriety that it needs to. Uh, there's things out there that are harming your fertility, even if, Everything is great for you all, uh, even if tubes are good and sperm uh, analysis is good and you're, and you're ovulating. So uh, fabulous. Uh, and and uh, thank you so much for, for spending uh, time with us today, Dr. Sheen. I, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. So if you are in the Seattle area, uh, please don't hesitate to uh, find Dr. Laura Shaheen. She's the director of the Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Program at Pacific Northwest Fertility and clinical faculty at the University of Washington in Seattle. She is also a very, very uh, avid uh, user of uh, Instagram. What, what is your handle, Dr. Shaheen? Dr. Laura Shaheen. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Dr. Mark Charles, so I, 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 we were both of the same mindset on that, on that uh, as well. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Health Podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, Check out the IBFcenter.com for all the notes, links, and tips mentioned in this episode. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please press the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss a future episode. 
And if you haven't given us a review or rating on iTunes yet, consider leaving a five-star review to help us reach and educate even more individuals in need. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.